Lace up those hand-me-down dress shoes because it's time for P.E. You're listening to Polygonometry. This is a family podcast where each week I sit down with a member of my family and we talk about what it's like growing up with hand-me-down shoes. I'm your host, uh, Chris Jessup. You guys know me. I don't even know why I didn't introduce myself, and that's okay. Um, Happy July 11th, everybody. Hope you had a great holiday. Um, We are just going to be rolling right along. I don't have much of an intro for you guys this week, and probably next week either. Um, This is part two of the CES review that I had with Sarah, and I hope you guys get into it. And if you haven't checked out the CES letter yet, Try it out, man. Just absolutely go dive in. Dive in head first. You don't even have to dip your toes in because I'm doing the dip in the toes for you first, right? And go in. You can download it for free, by the way. I forgot to mention this last time, but you can download it for free. Um, and it's it comes in a PDF, a bunch of different languages um, and all that stuff uh, for those of you who are uh, listening in internationally. See if it works with your language. If not, um, then probably download Duolingo or something and try to learn a new language. Um, They're not a sponsor for this uh, podcast, and I don't have any sponsors at all for this podcast. This is all out of the goodness of my own wallet. So uh, I hope you guys have a good time with part two of the CES letter review that I have with Sarah. Like one thing that's interesting, though, about this, since you're just doing that, the thing that he says about like the only focus on this one is about his sins and his father had been grooming him into an illegal act like as a kid. Right. So he's obviously like terrified about like things he's doing wrong. Okay. Uh, I think we might've gotten disconnected and we kind of jumped a little bit further ahead. Can So let's get back to the, the 1832 first handwritten account from Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, and from what I remember, just growing up, we were always told that Joseph Smith went into the sacred grove and he was tempted by Satan and he had all these, like, you know, Satan took a hold of him and he was, you know, through his own tenacity, he was able to get on the other side of it. Um, and we wanted to know which church was true, right? That's what we were told. Exactly. Same thing. But how old was he in that story that we were told? 14. 14, right? Everybody yep. can say it's 14. But this is in 1832, the handwritten account by Joseph Smith himself. And it says, and while in the attitude of calling upon the Lord in the 16th year of my age. So he's 16. Yep. Uh, and a, a pillar of light, uh, a pillar of firelight above the brightness of the sun at noon day came down from above and rested upon me. And I was filled with the spirit of God and the Lord opened up the heavens unto me. And OK, so he goes into this whole thing. And he um, says, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Joseph, my son, thy sins are forgiven thee, which is the only thing God says to him, which is why I always thought that was crazy, because at this point, his dad's been grooming him into illegal activities. Treasure digging was illegal. Yeah. So. Why is he so obsessed with God forgiving him? And it's interesting because, you know, they, the change from that account, like even the account he told about searching the scriptures, he's saying that there was, you know, in the original account, there was no 
true church on earth and they had all left, but that's part of the old gang constitution that the, I, we talked about last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was also that the society, all other Christ, all Christian churches were evil and their society was the only true church on earth. So it's interesting that the original, you know, version says that there was no society not church, he says society. He says society? Ooh, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's that's, on number that's, two. That's kind of fun. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and so in that first handwritten account, there's no mention of being attacked by Satan. Um, mm-hmm. This is 12 years after the vision happened. Yep. Uh, there's no mention of two separate beings, right? Yeah, no, no, yeah. And there's no and, reference to asking about which church to join, right? Yeah. And no, there's not. And Lucy says in her book that when he was telling all these stories before, like when, as a young boy, that he, they, he started telling his mother to write down well, his family. He would instruct them to write down gossip about neighbors as prophecies. Like he was saying that he was prophesizing. So I'm like, you obviously had the ability to write down things that you thought were important. So why didn't you write that down? Yeah. That seems a little weird. Yeah. You have the capability and if it's totally, you know, true, then why didn't you? Like, why are yeah. you omitting those specific things? You talked to, you know, God and you didn't <laughs> want to tell anyone about it? Like, for come 12, on, man. For 12 years? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't think you'd write it in your diary? Yeah. It's so weird. Um, and in the 1832 account, um, I'm just reading straight from the letter here. Uh, Joseph wrote that before praying, he knew that there was no true or living faith or denomination upon the earth as built by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. His primary purpose in going to prayer was to seek forgiveness for his sins, like what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 1838 account, uh, he said, that my object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which all of the sects was right. Oh, so sects instead of societies. Is that what you were referencing? Yeah, so the one before that in the 32... It says that, um, so the one right above that, it okay, says yeah, that it. there was no society, oh, society or, or denomination. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So we got it there. Um, and uh, that I might know which to join for at this time, I had never entered into my heart that all were wrong. And it's in direct contradiction to the first one that he said. Yep. So they, it doesn't. They've got a lying problem. Yeah. Like, <sighs> come on, at least be a little bit more consistent. And here's the, yeah. here's the problem with, with lying uh, is that nobody has a good enough memory to lie all the time. Right. And that's why I think I told you about Stephen Harding's account, this attorney, or the, not this attorney, this author asked him to record because he knew Joseph Smith when the, he knew the Smiths or of them when he was growing up in Palmyra. Then he went back right when they were printing the book. So he was asking about their, you know, like, do you know the Smiths? Like, what do you remember about the Mormons? Stuff like that. He wrote an account that in the book ends up being like 21 pages. And Joseph's account of meeting God, even in the longer versions in the same book, was only about three, two and a half or three and a half pages long. And I remember being like, that's interesting because I had spoken once to a detective um, who told me that people who lie, they don't include a lot of little details. And the reason for that is, is that their memory can't remember those details. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that when they're doing like a serious investigation, they'll look for with people because if they're giving kind of like offhand details, it's because they're really going off their memory. 
Yeah. And then, you know, they can go back and ask. And if those details are still the same, then it, it's good. But so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Stephen Harding literally spent like a week with him during this time when the first page of the Book of Mormon, which he was given, was printed. And he wrote an account to an author that was 21 something pages, you know, 21 and a half or whatever. Yeah. Joseph met God. And it's only three and a half pages long. It seemed like it would break people's brains <laughs> if it was completely and totally true. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it wouldn't be a, yeah, it wouldn't be a, you know, like a five paragraph essay. Yeah. It would be <laughs> significantly longer. That makes sense. Well, yeah, you would think it would. If I, if I, well, first off, if I thought I was talking to God, I'd be like, I got to check myself into a hospital. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if I really believed it and was like, you know, off in my world, I would be like every little detail in my diary tonight. But yeah. Yes, and doesn't think so. so, I mean, we have so much to unpack with this thing. Uh, and I mean, the next thing that he goes into uh, after his accounts of, or not his accounts, but uh, kind of poking holes into the accounts of Joseph Smith's first vision, um, he dips into the book of Abraham. And this is the one that I had no idea was completely uh, fake. Completely fake. I had no idea. I mean, I, I kind of figured or whatever, but I never um, I never looked into it, I guess is a way to put it. Um, and the book of Abraham, uh, just basically is, you know, Joseph Smith's, like, he found like another, he found like this piece of papyrus, uh, and Someone sold it. Yeah. He yeah. came to Kirtland with mummies and stuff and he, he bought it. Yeah. So they were doing like this tour of, you know, Egyptian artifacts and he came across it and was able to buy it. And you have these in the book of Mormon, right? It's in not so much in the Book of Mormon like it's mentioned, but like they have pictures printed and it looks completely Egyptian about, uh, um, it looks like, you know, Abraham, or it's basically in the Book of Mormon, they have it printed to make it look like Abraham is killing Isaac, right? Yeah, and well, we had the, yeah, it's the, the Book of Abraham. As a kid, I was taught that this was all true. Yeah. Like, and so that was shocking to me when, you know, that change came about because I was like, wait, what? Wait, so if that's not true, then how are the others still true? Yeah. And so uh, they call it Fasimile 1. And uh, this piece of uh, papyrus basically was incomplete. It was in pieces, it was torn, and there was a lot of like gaps that you could fill in, uh, and which is really super convenient for Joseph Smith because that's where he shines, is if there's like this really kind of cool little thing and it, there's some gaps, then he just jumps and he knows exactly how to make it seem like he's coming up with it originally. Yeah. Um, and this piece of papyrus, uh, as printed in the Book of Mormon, shows uh, Abraham, you know, with a knife and Isaac's on the table. And there's like this, uh, there's this like eagle looking thing just above Isaac's head. And he translated that as being, that's, a, that's the representation of the angel of the Lord. Um, but when you look at... Uh, <laughs> What is actually, it's the same exact thing um, discovered elsewhere in Egypt. It shows identically, like with the little jars underneath the table and everything else. And it shows, uh, it doesn't show uh, Abraham killing Isaac. It shows like, uh, what's the God's name? I can't remember. Um, is, he, is, it, uh, is it, I can never say it right, but like the one with the dog head, isn't that 
the PTAH, is that however you say that name? Ta, I think is what it's called. Yeah, um, and then the hawk is Horus. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and so Joseph was able to basically come up with this entire book talking about Abraham, and it was lost in translation. And, uh, you know, he was able to, you know, through the power of God, you know, give more credence to the idea of the existence of God and how he is, you know, the divine prophet through all of this stuff with this, you know, tattered and torn piece of papyrus. Um, and it turns out that it is not false at all, or it, it's not false. It's not true at all. Sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, no, it's totally true. Uh, oh, so Anubis, that's the one that we we're talking I was about. Gonna, yeah. I was like, I, I said that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it shows instead of it being Abraham sacrificing Isaac, it's uh, Anubis. Uh, and it's just so interesting to know that it's just, it, it, it's proven to be false explicitly. It is not real. It is completely fake. Yep. Joseph Smith's translation of this entire papyrus. And yet people still believe that it is from Joseph Smith and they have the book of Abraham because of that. That was one of the other things that got shoved quietly under, you know, like, cause that I remember learning about this growing up and like it's part of our scriptures it's so important and then it just kind of quietly disappeared like yeah. they just kind of stopped talking about the book of abraham it's just so sad in it a lot sad. of ways it just makes me it does make me feel sad because it's like well guys like you have you know people from not just you know the completely unbiased parties by the way um yeah. egyptologists at the time you know and they were just like, oh, well, no, that's not it. And they're like, well, no, Joseph Smith said it was. And they're like, well, no, it, it's not at all because we have these things to show you that how it's completely fake, his translation. Yeah. And they're like, well, no, I believe Joseph. And it's, yeah. like, it's like saying the sky is blue or it's like saying the sky is purple and being like, well, look up. That's not that's not purple. It's blue. And they're like, no, it's purple. Well, did you ever hear the story we were told that like, I remember being so tense when they were telling the story. I was like seven years old and they're like, yeah, and they had proof, but it got burned in the museum. And I was like, <gasps> you know, like <laughs> I'm like the six or seven year old kid, you know, in church, like so tense, like, oh my God, we could prove it to the world. And then like, but it all got burned down. And then it, that didn't even, that wasn't true either. It and that's, and that's again, that goes back to the whole treasure hunting stuff of like, no, we have it. No, we have it. We have it. No, we have it. You have it. Yep. A hundred percent. You could bring it to me. Yep. Where? When? Okay. No, I don't have it. Sorry. I, I, I had Something it. happened. Something came up. Yeah. It's just not fun. <laughs> no, it's, it's incredible. Really. I mean, it's fun to talk about in a way because it's just, you know, ridiculous. But um, yeah. What other notes did you have about uh, the CES letter now that I'm curious? So um, I, the next thing that I had was that I highlighted was that 86% of the book of Abraham chapters two, four, and five are King James version Genesis chapters. I was like, Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Cause I did not actually know that. So that, you know, there were things in here that I did not know. Um, the next thing that, Oh, Joseph Smith was definitely a malignant narcissist, which is different than um, narcissism. Like, 
narcissistic personality disorder. It's different. Um, And one of the signs of malignant narcissists is that they're, they're going to lead their group to total chaos. So either the person ends up imprisoned, they end up killing themselves, or they end up getting killed by their own people. Um, Another sign though, is that they can weep on command. And when he's dealing, they can literally like weep on command, but you can tell that it's not genuine because they weep, but they never actually show any remorse through their actions. So they'll like weep on command, whether they're happy or they're sad, but they'll never actually like, let's say like, oh, I'm showing my weeping because I feel bad about something, but then they never actually act on that regret or, you know, that, that feeling of, I shouldn't have done that. They'll keep doing things and they just get worse with time. And so that's why they always end with either like a cult suicide, a suicide on their own, arrest and imprisonment, like long imprisonment, or somebody kills them. Um, Almost always. So one of the things with the polygamy is that when he was being given, when he tested Heber Kimball saying, I want to sleep with your wife, and Heber doesn't eat or drink for like three days, and then he finally is like, okay, Yeah. And then Joseph weeps on command and says, just kidding. It was a test. But then they end up giving the daughter to Joseph. So, you know. Uh, It's just. (sighs) Okay. So this is the part of the letter that I was most anxious to read. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because it rings so close to home for me Mm -hmm. um, growing up in the AUB and and everything else. Um, And were you taught were you taught when you were growing up in the church that joseph smith was a polygamist it was such like a like hush hush like shove under the rug like so we would hear occasionally like yeah he had more wives and then they'd get shoved under the rug and so they they just kind of like breezed past it they didn't really like harp on it too much they just kind of Mm -hmm. like you know we're not going to talk about it yeah anyway with the knowledge and (laughs) shove it under the rug and then you know like you're not supposed to really get into that and like ask a lot of questions about that, which makes sense. Cause when you start looking at it, you realize this is literally prostitution. Like I looked up, you know, the definition, the unworthy or corrupt use of one's talents for this, um, the sale, no, the gain, sorry, my handwriting's bad. So basically using something, um, and exploiting someone for personal or financial gain. And the, you know, letter to Helen Mark Kimball, who's underage. She, you know, at the time people didn't even have their first menstruation until about 16 and a half. So she's, she's underage. And it says, well, I mean, before you go any further, I don't mean to interrupt, but even if you are menstruating, it doesn't mean you're a full on woman. Exactly. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. I say that to people all the time because I hear people be like, well, you don't know, she could have had a period. And I'm like, guess what? A nine-year-old can doesn't mean she is mentally or emotionally ready to be in a sexual relationship and have a child or anything like that. Like, especially that's not appropriate, especially to a thirty-seven-year-old man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting because when I went through the Navu deeds in the Navu papers online, one thing that I found that was really shocking was that most of the underage girls they're being deeded property right after their supposed, you know, marriage. They're literally, they and their families are being given property deeds by Joseph Smith in exchange for this relationship with him. (sighs) He's literally prostituting these children out and these young women. 
So that was interesting because I was like, oh my God, this is like a literal designation of his victims. You can like track it online. It the, was the disgusting. Fact, the fact you, you that disgusting is the great the best word to describe it. That is yeah. like how in the fuck do you think yeah. that's okay? It's not. Like it's like, it's not okay. It's disgusting. You it's have so a, inappropriate. Oh, you have a property deed for a fourteen year old girl. After she's been given as his victim. I don't call them wives because the definition of a wife is that you take care of someone. And the truth is that nobody <laughs> that Joseph supposedly married was ever taken care of financially or emotionally. He literally, I call them concubines because that's what they, that's what they were. Oh yeah, totally. I, I, I won't honor like Joseph's memory by calling it what he wants. Like, and the thing that's like just incredible is how, how many people today in our time can still groom victims by using old Mormon stuff. Well, and terminology that's a lot more soft. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, when you call it prostitution or when you call it concubines, that hits a lot harder than wives yep. because wives is, you know, so much more widely accepted. Accepted, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh, he had 37 wives or at least 37 wives. It's like, well, oh, they, yeah. were they wives? No, they were <laughs> they were fourteen yeah. year olds, and and eleven of those thirty seven were married to other men. Yep. that he sent off to England or wherever the hell to go and proselytize, and then he just got back, and and the, the dudes get back from their missions, and they're like, oh hey yeah, by the way, I took your wife your wife's mine now. And yeah, and she was first Apostle Richards. So first they got her, Joseph groomed her for Apostle Richards, whose wife was dying on the East Coast. She's shacking up with him living above the printing office. And then when he's done with her, Joseph's like, okay, you're mine now. Like, it's horrible. I mean, it's really horrible. One of, a friend of mine, uh, a friend, relative, cousin, probably, uh, he he grew up in Short Creek. Um in uh in, in arizona and uh he he was booted he he was he was booted out um because he asked the question like why are we shipping our women around like cattle yeah and they booted him for it and i i'm, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast soon yeah um and t and talk to him about his story because it's incredible um but it's that same idea like why are we listening and praising and essentially worshiping? I mean, so here's a, predator. A, here's a question. So when you were, when you were growing up going in your, you know, ward building or whatever, I've, I've seen this in various ward buildings that I've been to. They have, you know, a picture of Thomas S. Monson and then they have like the first presidency and then they have the quorum of the 12 and then they have like this kind of like <laughs> crazy pyramid shape. That's weird. Uh, and yeah. where where was Joseph Smith's picture in regards in, to the picture of Jesus? Oh, that's a good question because Joseph has seen far more. That's something I noticed as a kid was, and I actually was like seven when I started complaining, why do we listen and hear more about Joseph and our, the suffering of our ancestors than I do about Jesus? So like I wanted to go to a church where I just heard about Jesus because I was like, I don't, we don't really talk about Jesus as much as we do about Joseph. And it's the same stories that are recycled, you know? Yeah. But yeah, Joseph, it should be the church of Joseph Smith, because the truth is, is that you, at least when I was growing up, the way it was, was that we heard far more. Jesus is just kind of like a, like a throwback thing. Like it's like in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
okay, well, when most of your freaking talk or whatever was about Joseph and you just throw Jesus's name in at the end, like, or a prayer or whatever, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's just kind of weird to me. Like, it's still weird when I think about it because we would talk about Joseph all the time. It was just this obsessive Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. And then it'd be like, you know, occasionally about Jesus, but it, it really wasn't that much. Like Christmas was the only time when we really focused solely on Jesus yeah. that I remember. That was it. And even then it still spinned, you know, into this like promo, like Mormon. Well, yeah, because Joseph Smith's birthday is around Christmas time. Yeah, it's the 22nd, I think. Yeah, whatever it was. Um, but I always found that super weird because the ones that I saw in, in those ward houses were... Um, it was so interesting because I was investigating the church. I was a teenager. I was like 16. And I remember just kind of like sitting there during Sunday school, just kind of like looking and just like, huh. And it had the, in the ward house that I was at had a picture of Joseph and then a picture of Jesus. And then like the, and then like the, you know, the prophet and the first presidency and everybody else. Um, and Joseph Smith's picture was bigger and all this stuff. It was above. It was very much a, a like, oh, shrine. I, mean, I, I don't know yeah. if it was like it, it was not so much a shrine. I mean, there wasn't like <laughs> candles and, you know, and that kind of thing, <laughs> which would have been a lot cooler, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, I don't I don't assume that it was intentional, but it kind of has to not. probably not. But just the message that I was receiving at the time, not through God. Uh, not through the divine spirit or the you know still small voice, but I it it just seemed as though like oh where are where are our priorities? Yeah. In regards They're, to who we're talking about, it's like oh it's Joe, not yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. I like I never noticed the picture thing, but I did. You know, even as a kid, I did notice that we talk about him all the time. Yeah. And and Jesus is just kind of on the back burner. Yeah. Which is weird because it's called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, the Church of Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints. That's really what it should be called. I like it. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't ring, it doesn't flow off the tongue as well. But that's <laughs> pro- it's, it's probably just because, you know, it, we don't say it as much. Um, but the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because we have this man, this guy, who is good-looking, charismatic, seductive, In Mm -hmm. all ways, shapes, and forms, he's kind of a, you know, he's kind of a sleaze. And yet we talk about him as if he, I mean, like you said, like we heard about this guy more than we heard about Jesus, Harold Christ. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's insane to me because this guy has been tracked and proven to be a liar. Yeah. Proven. It's, it's, it, it is not... It is not up for debate anymore. Like he and, is a liar. And, well, and his, we still oh, just essentially worship this guy. Yeah. And his own words, it's not just lying. By the time he's in Kirtland, he attacks his own brother-in-law until he makes him temporarily blind. Like he has, yeah. in, in the history of the church, he admits attacking people, assaulting them numerous times. Like you're not, like this person's violent. He's very dangerous. It's not just you're a chronic liar. You can't stop. It's, you know, also other scary stuff too yeah in his own words and it's just so scary to think that like we have a multi-trillion dollar oh i don't know a trillion multi-billion almost trillion it's almost there it's multi-billion multi-billion dollar organization that 
that does a lot of good? With covering things? <laughs> well, yeah, I would say, I mean, they showed up to Katrina before FEMA did, right? Like, they, I, I'm not going to say that the church is 100% bad. But, yeah, but I know where the scales are in regards yeah. to the, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the members are good. That's the thing. Like, it's yeah. so sad to me because they have really good members. Like sometimes I get like, you know, the fanatic ones that come at me because of the history and stuff. But overall, the Mormon people, like when people are like, I don't know how you, you know, live there and deal with them. And I'm like, you have to remember that I was brainwashed too once. So I know what they're doing and I know what they're thinking. And yes, there are some that irritate me, but the truth is most of the time I just feel bad. I feel sad for them. I, cause I know I used to believe all this stuff too. And I know, you know, they don't know their history. They don't know the truth and they're, they don't even know what it is they really belong to. And that's really sad when you think about it. Yeah. And I mean, I know we're kind of veering off track with the CES letter and that's okay. Sorry, maybe um, no, 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 you don't have to apologize. This is great. This is awesome stuff. Um, so the thing that, that I, I approach this wall almost every single time I record, because I always think of like what, 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 what we're saying is, or how it's coming off to people who are listening. Um, mm-hmm. and if you are still listening, uh, thank you so much. Um, but I understand that what we are saying right now, calling, calling Joseph Smith a blatant total liar is going to not sit well in people's ears. Um, with a lot of people who listen. Um, and what I would say to those folks is, you know, do the, find out for yourself, you know, do the whole thing that they say in Moroni 10, like find out for yourself. And Mm -hmm. if it doesn't sit well with you, it doesn't sit well with you. If it's just breaks your brain and you don't want to hear me, you probably have already turned this episode off. Um, well, and also remember that you and I went through the same painful awakening that they might be going through when they're hearing this stuff. Like, it's not like we just woke up one day and we're like, Joseph's a liar. Like, we all went through this yeah. horrible awakening when we're like, oh, my gosh, this isn't true. This isn't true. This isn't true. And then you get to the point where you can separate yourself from it so far. You know, you've done enough research that you're like, OK, it is a liar. But I did not. Even when I started pulling away from the church, I did not say things that I say now. True. Like I'm more blunt. You know what I mean? Oh, same with me. I mean, that's part of the reason why I have the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I know. It's perfect. And, and so what I want to say to those folks is that like, I don't hate you. Exactly. In particular. No, I don't hate anybody. Right. Um, like I, I, I don't have a malicious bone in my body when it comes to, when it comes to individuals. And this goes with the polygamists as well. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, vitriol, you know, kind of boosted my way for for having this. And I just want to say to those folks like, hey, I don't hate polygamists. Exactly. Right. I'm not I'm not against you as a human. I'm not against you as a person. And I understand that a lot of the things that we talk about and kind of like pick apart and criticize are sacred to those folks. Also understand that I'm coming from this place of like, I want everybody to know all of the information first. And then make up their mind. Exactly. They have every right to make up their mind. That's the thing. Like when I think about what makes me the most angry, it's really that they're still being deceived. If they want to know, like my sister, I talked to her about Mormon history all the time. She's still a Mormon. Totally fine. That's her decision. She has every right to choose whatever face she wants to believe. But, you know, even she will say, it really grosses me out that like nobody knows the stuff that you've told me like, you know, they just don't know. They're not told the truth. 
And because those Mormon principles and beliefs were really instilled in me, like we have honesty, we, you know, we have integrity, we have honor, like all these things. Yeah. It really bothers me. Like, you know, that quote from Matthew, um, and you shall know them by their fruits. Mm-hmm. If it's true, why is there so many lies? Like, why do they pay scholars to go out of their way and attack people for talking about the history? Even their own historians get attacked, like the September 6th, which comes up later in the letter. Yeah. Why do you have to go to such lengths to destroy and gaslight if it's true and God's behind it? Like, don't you have enough faith in God to know that everything's going to work out? Because faith isn't believing in Santa, it's knowing. And if you really know the church is true, even if it seems like somebody's coming at you, God is going to make sure it stays on this earth. So to me, it shows a lack of faith with their panic and their fear and everybody's an enemy. We have to instill us versus them mentality. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, no, no. It makes total sense. And, uh, I've, I've ran into that, uh, that idea of like showing a lack of faith because you can't be criticized. Um, I ran that, I ran into that when I was in college, uh, because I, I mean, I'm not going to get into that story now just because it would take up too much time because it's a very long story, but basically I almost got expelled for looking too much like Jesus. And, um, a lot of people didn't really appreciate what I did, but they didn't really see it. Um, at any rate, my my idea, basically I was kind of poking a little bit of fun at Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and people got, of course, very, very, very upset with me. And uh, I, uh, my whole thing was like, if you can't laugh or have people poke fun at the things that you believe as most sacred, Mm-hmm. That means that you don't really truly believe in it as much as you think you do. Because exactly. if you if you believed in something and you were like a hundred percent, you are in, you are yep. in. It does not matter. Then who cares if some random ass hat from the Bitter Valley in Montana, you know, dresses up like Jesus and turns water into wine? Like yeah. it doesn't matter to you. Exactly. Why why would that matter to you? And that's I would say the same thing and and it's really fun for me to tell that story to uh to my Mormon friends because it's like, oh, man, those Catholics, man, can't catch the man, way too uptight. And then I talk about how Joseph Smith was, you know, a philanderer and like an infidelity king. Yeah. <laughs> and how he, you know, prostituted out these, you know, 14-year-old girls and basically started like peppering them with the facts. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, once it's about them, they, you know, become vitriolic. And it's just yep. ridiculous. I'm like, what do you mean? I just barely told you about this. And you're like, oh, man, those Catholics need to chill out. And then it's like, well, hold on. And then all of a sudden it's about them, therefore, and they just can't handle it. Yeah. I. It's funny because my, I have a Catholic grandma. I talk about things in Catholic history all the time with her. Um, I've said things way worse sometimes than, you know, the Mormon history because the Catholic history is longer. They've got way more crimes and stuff that went on. She has never said to me, you're persecuting my faith. You are persecuting my religion ever. My grandma literally is like, I know, isn't that terrible? Like she admits it, but you try it with, you know, the Mormon church and it's like, you hate us. I'm like, I don't hate you. If I hated you, I'd honestly just move on and be like, you don't deserve to, you know, know the truth about what you believe. Like it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and and Mormons are some of my favorite people. Absolutely. Like you think of anybody who's try to name people who are nicer than Mormons. 
Well, but it's kind of at least growing up for me, it was fake nice. The moment you were like, That's I don't know, I mean. then it's very vicious. Okay. So for me, I had a different experience. No, no, no. And, and that makes ten, and that makes total sense. Um, because Salt Lake and you know Utah Mormons are a different breed of Mormon, in my opinion. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, they're totally. My sister lived other places. She's like, these people are totally different. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I've never felt more supported when it came to like, oh hey, do you guys need help? Like, yeah, we'll help you. You know, and people show up. And there's a lot of really awesome things about Mormons and about members of the church. Unfortunately, it comes with a lot of asterisks in a way. I feel like the further away you get from Utah, though, the more cool and amazing they are. Because like even in the UK, they can drink beer. They can go down to the pub. They can have a whiskey. <laughs> well, you know, like in, in Japan, they can drink their tea. Like, it's totally fine. It's, it's because alcoholism is, like, culturally appropriate in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's true. <laughs> Just take the kids down to the pub. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, kids are raised in pubs. Um, but, okay, so to get back to the CES letter. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about polygamy. And we're talking about Joseph and how he basically coerced numerous, numerous women to marry him. And one of the things that really stuck out with me that I completely forgot about, I remember being told about this when I was a kid, but I completely spaced it from my mind for some reason. Um, but that Joseph, like some of the marriages uh, to these women, like oh, they're incestuous. Well, they're incestuous, but also like the thing that stuck out to me and, and the incestuous part didn't really like matter to me because I grew up in the AUB and it was kind of like, well, uh, yeah, they're cousins. Cool. Whatever. Um, but like that didn't bother me. The thing that kind of like stuck out that didn't really sit well with me when I was reading the CES letter for the first time was that like the marriages included promises by Joseph for um, like eternal life for the women and their families. And their descendants. So they, their descendants. some of them say descendants. And it's very obvious he's built a hierarchy in heaven besides the three kingdoms that we were taught. Yeah. It's like yeah. inside the celestial kingdom, there's obviously a hierarchy because what he says um, and I don't know if it says it here, but he says to these girls, he usually gives them 24 hours to decide the fate of their future. And, yep. you know, this special deal, but it is that you will have a first seat or like a, that, you know, closest to when Jesus is resurrected, you will have that and your family will be secured in the celestial kingdom. Like you could do whatever you wanted mm -hmm. and you'll have this, you will literally spreading your legs and buying yourself and your descendants and your family, something in heaven. Yeah. And, uh, also, on top of that, like the promises of eternal life for their families, descendants, all that stuff. And then he also threatened that if they didn't marry him, they would be slain by an angel with a sword. And he also would say that he would. So that he his excuses are very fascinating when you read the words. Oh, of yeah, the women. he was. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, he was yeah. not them. But that's he, right. Well, he would say like to Emma, he says, if you don't help me groom these victims, basically in D&C 132, when you read it again, it's it's very much a sexual predator saying that God's going to destroy you if you don't aid me in my schemes. Like it yeah. says that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Very, it's very scary, actually. Um, when I started learning about grooming and it wasn't had, it didn't have anything to do with Joseph Smith. It had to do with like my own stuff. So I was learning and being told like, you know, this is what sexual predators do. This is called grooming. These are the steps to look for. And then when I was going back, you, you know, years later, reading Joseph Smith's wives, and these are pro-Mormon, you know, some of the wives fled. Some of them said things that the church wanted buried, but these were the pro-Mormon versions. Okay. And when I was reading them, I was like, oh my God, 
they don't know, you know, like what we know about sexual predators, but if it's every step of a sexual predator, he isolates some of them. Mm-hmm. He sends the fathers on missions. He sends the husbands on missions. He then goes and grooms the brothers or other people nearest the person. So the older women in the polygamy, they were not anything more than like uh, the Maxwell of the Mormon church. They were groomers. They, If you read the words of the wives, they often will go and say, like, run to this trusted woman. And they're crying like, Joseph wants me to do this. And, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. You should do this. Mm-hmm. They're They're aiding him in the schemes. Yeah. And and that's so crazy that he, he had such a stranglehold on their belief system Mm -hmm. that he was able to basically recruit a a squad to get more. Well, and how he would do it is that like, according to Sarah Pratt, she said that the only ones who had the marriage, those were the ones who couldn't get to sleep with him otherwise. And there are quotes from people who say that he offered, you know, like money to one. He, uh, you know, there's one with uh, Flora Woodworth. She's 16 years old. He's in a carriage with her. Here, I'll give you a gold watch or something. You know, yeah. it's it's very much like he's trying to get it other ways. And when he can't get it other ways, then comes the you know fake marriage. Which, by the way, the reason that it was so hard for them to even find the 36 so-called wives, which I've personally tracked down over all the books I've read. I have a list right now that's 89. There are 89 women that I've found that either admitted or said, or the family member said he did stuff with, or somebody else is saying like, yeah, he did this. So there are 89 different women that supposedly were victims. And one of his friends was Joseph Jackson until he turned around and wrote a book about him. Joseph Jackson said he admitted to sleeping with hundreds of women. Hundreds. So, uh, you know, the 35 or whatever is the low ball. But the reason that it's so hard- At least 37. Yeah. And the reason it's so hard to track that down is because at the time, polygamy and bigamy were illegal to a point where in Illinois, every um, every new act of it, so like every new time he's doing it, he's going to get more time on his sentence. So at the, this point, Joseph was literally looking at probably life imprisonment because yeah. it's like, you know, I can't remember how many years gets added on for every new offense, but he's got 37 of them. Even with 37, so, he would have been put away for life, but he's yeah. <laughs> he's racking up a body count of over 100. Yeah. Yeah. At least. Well, and we know with sexual him? predators. I mean, like. <laughs> well, I mean, some of them I think were willing, and I think they that's fine. I guess you want to do what you want to do. But, you know, when it comes to some of these others, when it, the manipulation, it's just so. Well, that's not informed. Obviously. Yeah, it's, it's consent, but it's not informed consent. And with these underage girls this isn't consensual their parents are telling them to do it like yeah that's not consensual you know like yeah it's not it's it's totally different and it's so wrong it's kind of like some of the girls with you know jeffrey epstein yeah they were teenagers they consented but with promises of money and yeah yeah, all these things it's coercion yeah i'll put you in a nice house for a little bit yeah come on down yeah Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's so not much different. It's so it's so crappy. And one thing that uh, I really liked about how he drew this out in in regards to uh, Jeremy Runnels um, talking about polygamy in the CES letter um, is the correlations that he draws between Joseph Smith and good old Uncle Warren. Um, and 
so he has a graph in the letter where <laughs> it has a picture of Joseph Smith and it has a picture of Warren Jeffs. And it has number of wives, age of youngest wife, other men's wives, mother-daughter pairs, biological sisters, uh, and underage 18 wives. Uh, and it's insane to look at the numbers between, and it just showcases how much of a piece of crap Warren is as well. Um, mm. But like, you know, debatable, Joseph had 34, 37 wives. The youngest wife that Joe had was 14. He had 11 of those affairs were with other men's wives. One was a mother-daughter pair, and he also married eight pairs of biological sisters, and seven of them were under the age of 18. That's absolutely That's insane. Crazy. I thought there were two mother-daughter pairs. Am I wrong about that? I don't know. According, to, uh, according to the graph, that's what it says. Um, but And then with, with good old Warren, uh, 78 wives. <laughs> uh, age of his youngest wife was 12. Uh, other men's wives, 21. Mother-daughter pairs, 7. Biological sister pairs, 56. And 24 of Warren's wives were under the age of 18. So and crazy. that's... That, that's just it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. You know, it's, it's interesting too, because, um, like I told you that like my sister and I, my grandpa would use the church stuff when he was like grooming us as kids. Did I tell you that? Uh, not exactly. I yeah, remember, I remember so, you mentioning it, but we were peppering, we were going pretty quick last time we spoke. So, yeah. So it's interesting because like, it's obvious that the FLDS um, Warren Jeffs church is still using this kind of stuff, you know, Joseph Smith stuff to like convince them. And even though I wasn't in that group, it's really scary to think about how whenever we would complain or anything, it was always going back to church sources, church stuff, you know, church. Okay. Yeah. So were yeah. you, you were using, you know, official church publications to kind of look at how it's not really working well so yeah like what he would do is when you know i was little and i'd be complaining because i was starting to wake up like wait a minute this isn't love like why does it have to be a secret like what is going on here you know it was like oh you're special which is exactly what joseph said i couldn't figure out as a kid like why sometimes when they would talk about polygamy it really upset me and when i got older and started facing my own crap i'm like oh my god because my grandpa used like the same kind of stuff you know oh, like okay you're yeah. special gotcha you're chosen. And he literally would tell each of these women and Joseph would do it in a way where he would be like, God chose you. And I have to do it with you to restore the church. That was something that really, or just restore the sacred principle. And that was something that really shocked me was he's telling every single one of these wives, according to their own testimonies, the same lie that you and you alone kind of, you know, the special tension, yep. which gives yep. it more pressure to continue on to do it. But he hasn't told them that I've already told this to somebody else. I've already done this with somebody else. I've already slept with somebody else. And so why does he keep needing to say that? So, but yeah, my grandpa would do that. He, I would complain and he would go and like pull out, like sometimes even the enzyme or something, you know, like I remember him showing me church magazines or church stuff, you know, and being like, well, this, this, and this. And it's just, it's really scary to me to think about how when Mormons can't call abuse what it is how they don't realize that that actually makes it easier for someone in their system to take advantage of their own children. Yeah. It makes it easier for them to be groomed Yep. because you're not calling it out for abuse. And then that person saying, Oh, it's not abuse. So, you know, so the kids are like, yeah, of course it's not. 
it's when you think about it, it's extremely intelligent because intelligent in a way that I don't want to call the intelligence as a, I don't want to use that word as a compliment. Um, it is very intelligent when you want to control people. Yes. That is a fantastic way to do it. Um, because it gets perpetuated and then it becomes a self-sustaining system. Um, and, and it just propagates generation after generation, and then yep. it becomes a tradition, and traditions become more deep-rooted and deep-seated into our psychology and how we work as human beings. And when you have, I mean, that's how, that's the, that's the whole reason why the LDS Church is now a multi-billion dollar institution. Exactly. Um, because it just, the, the formula worked. It, the timing yeah. was perfect everything just worked out for Joe. <laughs> yeah. Until he got shot. Until he got but shot. Honestly, out of window, but that's, cool I'm enough. surprised, but that yeah, helped, I'm... but that helped the cause. Oh no, I know that is totally true. They had already pushed for so long that we're persecuted and persecuted people are holy people. So when he died, a lot of anti-Mormons in Illinois fled. Cause they're like, crap, we're all going to not even anti-Mormons, just Christian people around. They were like, we're going to die. They're going to go. They have the biggest army in the state. Like they're going to kill us all. So they're running away and they're like, who killed him? Because they were not happy about that because they're like, one, Mormonism would have died out if he had just gone to prison. Mm -hmm. And two, now they've got like, they were already fanatics and now they've got another reason to be fanatical. Yeah. Just be, just get so much more deep and there's nothing that rallies the troops more than a death. Yep. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, uh, it's just, it's so, it's so weird to look back at all of this and this is me kind of expanding out and and just looking at everything the whole story joseph in the grove is he 14 or 16 are the plates real fast forward everything everything involved with this entire thing is just so crazy to me looking back at it now it, it's just so like how did this work in this yeah. way that's so nuts me. And I love, I love that you say crazy because I always, when I talk about the Mormon Church, I'm always like, "Oh, this is crazy." Oh, you want to know? It's crazy. And so I love <laughs> you said that because I say that too. I'm like, "Man, this is crazy." But there's not any other word really. It's really mind blowing when you think about it. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it, it's so weird because now because then I mean it's it's so involved and has so many different little alleyways and nooks and crannies to the point where I am now sitting. <laughs> on the internet with you talking about it. Like it all comes full circle for me. And I just want to recognize that in the moment, I'm just kind of being blown away by how crazy all of this is. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And you know, it's interesting how we were talking about how it goes into generations because I read a long time ago in a book um, that was written by, it's the stories of women who had left polygamy. And um, it, currently though, and the author says that it's like a well-known fact that the people that get groomed into like the fundamental polygamy that are females that are older, the most successful group is actually Mormon women because they already have their foot halfway in the door. They already believe that polygamy is, you know, sacred. It was sacred for Joseph and stuff. So they're actually the easiest group to get in to think that, you know, this is what I want to do. Huh? That's interesting. That's so crazy. (laughs) But, I mean, it makes sense, though, if you're going to talk to someone who's like been, you know, raised in a different culture, 
or you're going to talk to someone who already believes Joseph Smith is a true prophet, all you got to do is show them, well, Joseph really did all these things with these women and said all these things. And either at that moment, they have to accept Joseph isn't who I thought he was. Therefore, I don't believe the church or they have to accept Joseph's version of the church is more aligned with Warren Jeffs, which is what you know the CES letter says. And mm-hmm. I think he's totally right. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, we can jump uh, from off of polygamy into the next section uh, where he goes in on prophets. Um, and he has an awesome quote, or he has a few quotes. Um, one from President Wilford Woodruff. And there's a word in here that really stuck out to me when I read this. Um, and the quote is, the Lord will never permit me or any other man who stands as president of the church to lead you astray. It is not in the program. It is not in the mind of God. If I were to, or if I were to attempt that, the Lord would remove me out of my place. And the thing that stuck out like a sore Joseph Smith thumb in that was, it is not in the program. Mm-hmm. The program, that word program, just for some reason, just like was like a blaring neon sign for me where I was like in the program, this yeah. is, wait, program, I, I've seen programs, I've been to dances before, I've, I've been yeah. to weddings, who's part of the program, who's playing the violin today, right? Yeah, programs have to be organized and people go behind the scenes, and they plan everything out, so you're like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Part of the program. And this is from President Wilford Woodruff, a.k.a. the prophet, right? Like he was Mm -hmm. he was acting as God's mouthpiece. And he's like, it's not part of our program. It's like, ooh, some of the some of the light is shining through the cracks here. Don't you love when you see those quotes so that they're very like, whoa, because it's like a little (laughs) slip and you're like, whoa, that's that's big. That's big. Um, And I mean, and this is from Elder M. Russell Ballard. Uh, Keep the eyes of the mission on the leaders of the church. We will not and cannot lead you astray as if they're immune to being human beings. Yeah. It's another but one. But then that's that just the like, excuse yeah. they use whenever something's wrong. But they're just human. And I'm like, okay, which is it? Are yeah, they like talking to God and getting divine insight or are they just human? Yeah. Um, and I don't want to j- dip too much into Adam God doctrine with Brigham Young because that one gets a uh, gets a little yeah. a little too highfalutin for my brain, um, just because I find it to be complicated because I'm not that smart. Um, but uh, the thing that I also want to talk to you about is he goes in on the prophets talking about polygamy, and the one that he references in the 1998 Larry King live interview with President Hinckley, and I wanted to talk to you about it because you mentioned it. So yeah. Uh, he, uh, in, in September of 1998, uh, president Gordon B. Hinckley, uh, went on Larry King, um, and Larry, (laughs) Larry King asks him, do you, you condemn polygamy? Like you condemn it. And, uh, Papa Gordon says, yes, I condemn it. Yes. As a practice, because I think it is not doctrinal. And that is weird because of section 132. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) 